How's everybody doing today? Which one do you want? Repent for heaven is coming near or true love can't wait? I'm not boasting. It has been a full week. The Lord is just speaking. I'm not. It's just been one of those weeks where it's like, I want to say it all. I can't. I got to pick. I'm going to go with love. Because I even made slides for both, and I'm not, I'm not being goofy. I'm just, it's been one of those weeks where, the, the, listen, the, listen, the illusion that everyone is not being discipled is just that. It's an illusion. Every human being is being formed and shaped to love and long for someone or something. If you agree, say Amen. And so as I see in just the, the generation and culture in which we find ourselves where we have access to media and news globally in 0.5 seconds, as a pastor and trying to be a spiritual leader in times like these, it is incredibly complex because the more that goes out on the airwaves, the more content is vying for your heart and your mind and your affection and your attention. And as those who have been called out to follow Jesus, there is just this deep thing in me, this intensity that just wants to say, keep looking to Jesus, don't look to anyone or anything else. And so I just have had this, this the culture and the, the, just the moment we live in in this nation is so intense. Does anyone feel that with me? Just that, that polarizing and, and, and I'm not like, I don't feel an intensity because I think, you are incapable of discerning the way of Jesus in and through it. That's not why I feel the intensity. I feel the intensity because there are so many different stories and narratives to find yourself caught up in. And before you know it, you can be more influenced by the ways of the world and the spirit and principality of the air than by King Jesus and his spirit anchored in the scriptures. And so that's why I'm not being goofy. You know, I, but every message in this day and age feels like, like a make or break message to me. Maybe not to you. I know not everyone lives in my world and I don't live in your world. But it just seems like thus the playfulness of the title of the message that we all pick together. Like true love can't wait. You know that slogan that was like a dating slogan or you know, saving yourself for marriage? I'm obviously playing on that and I think true love should wait for marriage, amen? Uh, referring to context of marriage and, and sex and all of that. But I, if there's any, if there's an intensity and a, a fulcrum that is a make or break reality for our generation and for our day, it is the love that we've seen displayed and poured out through Jesus, that can't wait. Like when we think about how to, how to wade through the cultural waters we find ourselves swimming upstream, it seems, against and being inundated by through media, news, and tragic events, etc. As a believer, now is the most opportune time to experience ourselves and then embody and express a love that is from another world, but radically transforms the current world, if we will get it. 
Gordon Smith said this. He said, the whole of the Christian life is essentially a response to the love of God in Christ. If you agree, say amen. I mean, really, the whole Christian life, like, we could talk about the disciplines and the practices and the obedience and repentance and faith and community and the sacraments of baptism and and the Eucharist meal, communion meal, and all the different elements and mission and evangelism and learning. But at the end of the day, all of Gordon Smith brilliantly says, really all of Christian life is learning to respond to the love that God's just lavishing on us. You know. And, you know, just think of a moment when you felt profoundly loved. Do you get it? Think about it. When you felt, man, I am loved. What did you feel like? Let me hear it. Accepted. What else? Grateful. What else? Secure. Joy. This is awesome. What else? Huh? Heavenly sent. What else? Humbled. What else? Valued. Excited. That moment you felt profoundly loved. What was it like? How did it move you? What did it make you do? What was your response to that love? Tingle. Okay. <laughs> Casanova over here. That's cool. <laughs> to love back. Share it. And think of the context. What was the, what was the vehicle that delivered that love? An action, a word, I'm helping you. Really, the vehicle that drove it was probably a relationship that was meaningful to you. Are you tracking with me? The circumstances. What about a moment when you knew, man, this person needs my love and you were able to give that love? Anyone? Man, I'll just tell the story. Yesterday, I was a total stinker of a dad. I was selfish. I was reading this book on the cross, preparing for you know Lent season. I'm being all spiritual as a dad, and my son's annoying me to no end because he's just fussing, and there's no win when he gets in that mood. Anyone know when a kid gets in that no win? And so I just was losing my cool. I was so frustrated. And then it clearly dawned on me what my son needs right now is nurturing love because mama was exhausted and was, was taking a nap. And so I went over to the couch and snuggled with them under the blanket and Believe it or not, love changed the atmosphere. I didn't feel like it. That's just my most up-to-date example of yesterday. After not loving and then realizing, man, I should probably put my cross book down and go love my son Caleb like he needs to be loved in this moment. Has anyone been there where you're preoccupied with being spiritual and then God's like, I want you to love somebody? You're preoccupied theorizing about love, but realizing love, at least the love Jesus displays, does not belong in the theoretical realm. It belongs in the realm of the concrete attitude, action, word, and deed, selfless, self-demanding love. And how many know that that kind of love is seldom convenient? It just changes the world. It's seldom easy or convenient or what you would choose naturally, but It's a love that has the potential to remake the world. Starting with your own heart. Starting with your own marriage or friendship. Starting with your own children or grandchildren. That kind of love has the potential to transform the world. This is one of the most, first of all, I've been listening to a lot of the audio Bible and to and fro and driving and was listening to the book of 1 John, which I've 
have a huge sweet spot for in my heart. But just struck by this verse. Let's read it out together. And first of all, to be able to say you know something in this context is pretty intense, pretty amazing. Let's read it together. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Whoa, what's next? Anyone who does not love remains in death. So, you know, I'm all for theories and I love getting deep in study and thinking about all the different nuances of what words mean. But how many know you don't have to study that deep to get what John is getting at here? (laughs) If you choose, that's why the title of the message is True Love Can't Wait. It can't wait. If you choose non-love, you're actually choosing death. In the moment, you may think you're choosing convenience, like I did yesterday on my couch, or I'm just studying for Easter or the, you know, the Lenten season of the cross. But to actually choose to not love is actually not just to choose not to love, it's actually choose to stay in death. Sin at its core or at its essence is non-love. Or you might say it this way, sin, missing the mark, is misplaced love. Instead of it being summed up in the one who is love and who loved us first, it terminates on ourself, on our own desires, on our own cravings, on our own needs, and what usually happens when we go down that path is collateral damage and death. Can I get a witness? The love that God has poured out on the world, and specifically that the church is to be Drinking from the well of that love, read Isaiah 12, regularly, moment by moment, the love with which he's calling us to rise in these incredibly culturally complex and conniving and just intense times is nothing short of a love that is actually life, life coming out of a culture of death. Sin in its essence is not a love for God's self and neighbor. Sin is a mutation or a cheap imitation of that which is good and right and true. Something that God said was good, but that we take and we terminate it on our own selfish pleasures instead of turning it back into worship, adoration, and praise. Jesus said it this way. I mean, look at this, Mark chapter 6. It's super clear. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. From within, out of a person's heart, evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice. Does it sound like the headlines? I'm just saying. Come on, somebody. Hmm? Okay. Envy, slander. We don't have any of that going on right now. Arrogance and folly. All of these. Look, look where Jesus locates these on his map from his perspective. All of these come from Where? So, you know, we've been, you know, we're, we're unapologetic here around Cornerstone that God calls us not just to believe once on Jesus and the prayer of prayer and then, you know, sort of magically someday you get to go to heaven and then you just get to live like you want the rest of your life. How many know that is not the gospel? It's central to following Jesus is Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and Follow me. Now, many in our, you know, sort of in a, in a day and age where culturally the only sin is restraint, right? 
It really, we're in a day and age where the only cultural sin, again, not the culture that acknowledges Jesus, but the moment we find ourselves in, the only wrong is to like actually have some sort of moral compass and saying, you know, I'm not going to participate that in because it doesn't align with the one I'm following, Jesus. The only sin in our culture is to say that is restraint. It's that Sheryl Crow song, right? If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. If it makes you, right? This is the only cultural really taboo. It's, it's, the logic of it is, 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 is silly. And so when, when we as Christ followers have a Christ that says deny yourself, culturally, if you're more formed by culture and by the narrative of, of our world and um, you know, the newsreel and the endless cycle of violence, retaliation, hatred and selfishness and immorality, if you're, if you're more formed by that narrative, when Jesus says deny yourself, you're like, well, who do you think you are, bro? <laughs> but when we realize that the self that he's calling us to deny is this self, you realize it's his wisdom to get us out of death and to call us into life. Because it's from within that all of the problems that we see culturally and then from cities and regions and nations and why there's clearly enough food in the world to feed the world, but the problem is not everyone's experienced the complete overhaul and transformation of grace. And so even though there's food being dispersed in parts and places that are ravished by drought and by insufficient funds, that's usually handed to greedy men and or women who then terminate what is given for the good of the least of these on themselves. And we see it all over the world today. Because the issue is that on the inside, we love ourselves more than we love God. And on the inside, in these, this moment we find ourselves in culturally, we see the effects when man and or woman chooses themselves at the expense of everyone else. And it is always some spinoff and manifestation of death. Always. True love can't wait. The self that Jesus is calling us to deny is the self that manifests in various dynamics of death. There are only, look at C.S. Lewis says, if you don't believe me, he's way smarter. There are only two kinds of people in the world at the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy, look at that, will ever miss it. Those who seek, find, and those who knock, it is opened. How many know that's good news? He goes on, look at this. C.S. Lewis goes on to say about this, this issue of choosing self or choosing love. He goes, there is but one good, that is God. Everything else is good when it looks to him <laughs> and bad when it, do you see that? We see this on every highlight reel culturally right now. Look at this, John goes on to say in 1 John 4, whoever does not love does not know God. Look at that language. If you don't love, it's such a moment to, to rise up in Jesus-shaped, cross-formed love. It's unprecedented, even though it's as old as 2,000 years plus. But the moment we find ourselves in, this is how God showed his love among us. How? Read it with me. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live 
through him. So how is God, how does, how is love manifested? How is it shown in and through our lives? There's three things. Are you checking with me? Here it is. First of all, God, love is something that is to be shown, which means it's something that's not just in your head, but it's something that flows through your hands and your actions and attitudes. Say amen. Number two, it usually demands some sort of movement. See how God showed his love among us that he what? Sent. So it demands some sort of response or some sort of kinetic movement where you move from a place of non-love to actively engaging love that looks like Jesus. He sent his son to show love. And then ultimately, uh uh-oh, this is the good news, right? This is love, not that we love God. See, we didn't. (laughs) Come on, let's just be real. We didn't. We loved ourselves at the expense of anything and anyone around us. But that did not derail God's love operation for his world. Someone say amen. Amen. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, which is to say all of the collateral damage of death, despair, darkness that we've seen, that we've seen for millennia, thousands of human years of human history, God in Christ comes to the earth in the midst of all of those of us who have chosen to love ourselves and our own desires, our own needs, our own pleasures, our own lusts, and our own etc. In the midst of all of that, he becomes the only one to never misplace love his entire life. This is what scripture means when it says he is sinless. That means that the channel of God's love between he and this father And the channel of God's love between the Father himself and the world was never damned up or stopped. Because anyone who chooses not to love is, remains in death. And we know that Jesus said in John 1, 4, that I am, in him was life. And so Jesus never for one moment misplaced the aim and direction of his love, which is why he's the only sufficient sacrifice to turn the whole thing around. That's what the sacrifice for our sins is all about. To correct love. To transform us from just being lovers of ourselves to lovers of God's self and neighbor. And then John goes on. He just keeps getting better. Dear friends, since God so loved us, what should our response be? We also ought to Duh, right? No one has ever seen God, right? But if we love one another, look at the evidence. God lives in us and his love is what? Made complete in us. Not that we love God. This is all that is wrong with the world. We stopped loving God. And when we did that, we cut ourselves off from the only sufficient source and supply from which we could draw the grace, humility, mercy, strength, and power necessary to not take life, but to cultivate life on the earth and in our relationships and in our marriages. When we chose to love ourselves and we turn from God, and this happens in every, it can happen every day. This isn't just some ancient story in some garden with two naked people, Adam and Eve. We, you're like, what kind of garden are you talking about? This is something we are still eating the fruit of today. If you agree, say amen. That's a tragic amen, but it's true. But there is a way forward 
Because even though we didn't love God, he loved us. Are you tracking with me? Even though there was nothing in me that merited his sacrifice or his kinetic movement to leave eternal glory and to take on skin and to descend into not just humanity, but a slave, Philippians 2 tells us, and then not just live, but he died, not just died a gruesome death, not just a gruesome death, but he didn't just die as a, as a, a treasonous rebel in, in sort of first century Roman-occupied Israel. He also becomes the very entity, the non-love and its fruit and manifestations for all of human history, takes it upon himself. He swallows the revenge and the, the hatred and the murderous threats and the um, rebellion of those in his generation and all generations. And he becomes it, it says in Hebrews 2, 8 through 10, and he drinks of that death so that now he can extend the grace necessary to see a world set on fire with love to us through Jesus. He drinks that death, Hebrews 2, 8, and he, he descends into the lowest depths and then he strips all of hell, Satan, death, and the grave of its right deed and title over the earth so that now a new world is possible through those who will choose love and get out of death. Now, what separates this from sort of the yuppie, just love, man? Well, because this kind of love, the kind of love that goes to any lengths to lay down your rights in life, you cannot work up yourself. You got to receive it and then respond to it. Say it with me. Receive it and then respond to it. Because by nature, we are those who will always terminate the love journey and process on ourselves. We just will unless he comes and transforms us on the inside out. So in short form, no love, you don't know God. Yo, I mean, it's just the Bible. It's intense. And so as believers, when we're in this cultural war and this, right, say it with me, ah, we cannot afford, we cannot afford to be more influenced by the rage, the anger, the slander and the manipulation than we are by the love that we've received from God in Christ by the Spirit. Because you can even know the right theory on the topic or the subject, but if it's not in love, how many know 1 Corinthians 13, 1, you just sound like a resounding gong. I wish I had symbols. That would have been perfect. Like even if you're right, how many know you can be right and still be wrong? That'll blow your mind, but it's all good. Whoever does not love does not know God. The title of the message, again, is True Love Can't Wait, to choose to stay in your bitterness, your hurt, your resentment, or your own little kingdom, to choose your own rights and your own privileges, to stay in this place of a world revolving around you, you're not just building a wall that keeps others out, you're actually building a prison for yourself where you're cutting yourself off from the life-giving, liberating love of God to turn you inside out, to bring you from death to life. Love is not a theory or some ideal or idea. It is embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ himself. This is why John can say multiple times, this is how we know what love is. How? We'll go to this passage. No, we know what love is because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John 3, 16. We don't have to guess what love looks like. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like laying down your rights in life so that others around you can live. And the mystery and the beauty of the gospel is this. 
It may sound like, well, then what's in it for me? Well, comma, Jesus says, if you lose your life for love's sake, you'll actually gain it a hundred times full in this age and the age to come. And so the logic of the kingdom is not conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says white knuckle your existence. Just hold on to your possessions, your, your privileges, your rights, and just do it. And how many know that at the end of that life, you're left just with what you can hold. But if you let go of the stranglehold and the lies of the world that says keep and hold and just protect yourself, you will be the most liberated, life-giving person because you realize, well, you don't have to hold all that this. You can just let the one who holds the world hold you. And then if he, what he has, you have. And so this, in this cultural moment, the church and just people, we just want to hide. And, but listen, it's the greatest moment to let go, to abandon project self, to deny ourselves and say, like I've been loved, I want to raise up and rise up in this hour in love as I've been loved. It's not a theory. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. This is, I mean, John just comes right out and says it in 1 John 4, 16. God is love. You want to know what love is and what it looks like? Look no further than the self-emptying sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So what's amazing is this, that the fruit of the fall, I, you know, I, I, this brilliant theologian, uh, Gary Brashear, says almost every message has to eventually touch on the first three chapters of the Bible or you're not preaching good. <sighs> because that's sort of the... The good, the bad, the ugly, the plan of redemption is all always there. And so what is, what is I just propose humbly. What is that thing that Adam and Eve want to name? Remember the essence of the temptation? You know, don't, you're not going to die. That's, that's silly, right? Did God really say all, all this on and on and on? You will certainly not die, for God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, how many know, just like our message last week, Jesus gets baptized and the Father says, you're my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Remember that one? You can go online. And then the enemy turns around and tempts him and says, if you are the... So he tempts him on something that he's, that's already true of him. And how many know that the enemy does the same thing to the original couple in the garden? You will be like God. How many know they were already like God? He made them in his image. He's crafty. I would propose that the issue at stake here, the first topic to be negotiated as a newly opened-eyed and now aware of your shame, guilt, and sin, and nakedness, and now there's a rift between you and your husband and you and creation and you and God. Thank you, fruit. I would argue the first topic negotiated as a result of that choice to choose to name to our own means and pleasure and desire instead of submitting to the wisdom of God and saying, you know what, you're good to know good and evil, I just wanna know you and follow you. <laughs> I believe the first topic to be negotiated was what love is and who was worthy of it. Now let me tease that out for 10 seconds or 30 seconds. What was, what was the real issue? I wanna name um, what love is and who is worthy of it. And we see this if you read the story from Genesis chapter 3 through Genesis chapter 11. You will see objectification. You will see enslavement and incest 
and the mistreatment of women and resources, and it always gives way to manipulation, which always gives way. You'll see murder and violence. That's Lamech in chapter 4 and onward. You'll see systemic evil and slavery and injustice, and I'm just convinced that this fruit and the manifestation of it was to negotiate who and what love is and who is worthy to receive it. And so sin at its essence is the dehumanizing, subhuman, anti-life force that was unleashed on the earth. Remember, because if you choose not to love, you remain in, right? And so death began to spread. You won't surely die. And how many know they didn't die right away? They just got to see their sons kill each other. Are you tracking with me? They didn't die right away. They just got to see the effect. I think they lived for 900-something years. I forget. It's not in my message notes. But they got to see the effect of their rebellion for hundreds, hundreds of years. The effect of anti-life, dehumanizing, objectification, manipulation. In essence, they got to see what non-love or love detached, separated from the source of love and life looked like. And how many know they had too close of a seat to front row, seeing their own son kill their other son? Paul puts it this way. Sin entered through the world through one man, and death through sin. And this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And like Adam, whom Paul refers to here as the typical human who was sinful and rebellious and brought not love and flourishing in life to the earth like he was called to do in the beginning... But he actually was the door through which, because he rebelled against God, love, who is love, 1 John 4, 16, and unleashed death and despair, all that we read about in our headlines today. John goes further to say that Adam represents the one through whom death came, and then, he, and then John goes like this. Look at this. This is amazing, because Cain was Adam's son. Look, look at the, this is crazy. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. There it is again. Thanks, John. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So what is he getting at here? Do not be, it goes on. Through Adam, death came into the world, but through Cain, death spreads in the world. Why else is John comparing? Adam's the one who chose to name good and evil for his own purposes, and it cost him his, his marriage was jacked up. She made me do it. He made me do it. Creation was jacked. Their relationship with God, there was a rift, and all of creation. And the manifestation of his first sons is not life-giving love and reconciliation and relationship, but when your brother does something better than you, instead of giving him kudos and cheering him on, you take him out. How many know we're still playing the same game, same card? Death came into the world through Adam, and then obviously John is saying, don't be like Cain, his son, where death spreads through the world when we choose non-love, we choose retaliation, violence, hatred, manipulation, and ultimately murder. There's another way. You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out the father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks. Look at this language. He speaks his native language, for he is a father. He is a liar and the father of lies. 
Cain belonged to another father than the father that Jesus reveals. Jesus reveals a father of which he's praying while he's hanging, bludgeoned, and beaten on a cross. What is he praying? Not get them, Father. He's praying, Father, forgive them. Dying a death he did not deserve, for they knew. And then he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Their knowledge of naming good and evil has been one perpetual failed project after the other. They always name the wrong thing right, the right thing wrong. And it has been this unbelievable cycle of death and revenge and hatred and manipulation, objectification, violence and greed and hatred. It's this thing that is not new to our age, but it's unique to all ages. But God in Christ says, enough already. I'm going to undo the sin and the trajectory of death manifested through Cain, which is hatred and retaliation and killing. Father, forgive them. Let's end this madness so that there's a new way for the world to go forward, which is called love. If you don't choose love, you remain in death. If you don't choose love and follow the way of Christ, you remain in death and follow the way of Cain. Michael Goheen says this, all spheres of life, marriage, family, work, worship, school, state, play, and art, they all bear the wounds of our rebellion. Sin is present everywhere in pride of race and arrogance of nations and the abuse of the weak and the helpless and disregard for water, air, and soil and destruction of living creatures and slavery, deceit, terror, and war and the worship of false gods and in the frantic escape from reality. We have become victims of our own Sin. And Jesus stands in the midst of all of this and says, Father, forgive them. In me, I'm making another way possible. Where he comes to those who are his own to save them. And his entire ministry in life, he is forced to live out his own teaching, which is most poignantly summarized in Love your enemy. If you treat those who treat you good and invite you back to the party and just scratch your back, that's not really love. If you want to be like the Father in heaven or if you want to be perfect, I'm calling you to a love that you cannot get to on your own. You've got to be ravished in my love for you first. Let me turn you inside out so that you can become an instrument of life-giving love instead of another riff or note on the song of death that seemingly blares at an unprecedented level in our day. The only way out of that songbook or that melody is to look to the one who is love and to be ravished in and through and by that love so that you and I can begin to play a different song. We can begin to walk in a different way. The word perfect really, really freaks Christians out. You know, that we're super famous for saying Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven, which is just bad theology, but we'll leave that outside. It's okay. But here, Gordon Smith helps us. I, I love this quote. It's phenomenal in his book, Called to Be Saints. Um, did I include it? Thank you. To be perfect is quite simply to be what one has been created to be. To say simply, though, is to miss the force and the beauty of perfection. When an engine, do I got any gearheads in here? When an engine runs exquisitely, when a pen writes effortlessly, when a bridge spans a river with flawless combination of beauty and structural integrity, 
or when a coat fits comfortably, I relate to that finally, in a style or a color that suits us is just the right for the day's weather. We rightly use the word perfect. I might throw in a perfect meal. Something works, something fits, something is true to its intent. The call to perfection is the invitation to be that which we were created for. And I would contend we were made to be loved and to loved, and perfection is to function as we were created and designed. He created us for love, in love, to love, And when we stay in a culture of death, instead of receiving and walking in a new life, we will not experience the function for which we were created, which is why the manifestation of death is numerous, because there are endless attempts from humanity to find that which we were created for. And until, like Augustine says, we find our home in the loving arms of God, we will be perpetually restless. And in that restlessness, we will cause all kinds of damage. Can I get an amen? In that misplaced love, that misfire of love, we will hurt and harm instead of heal and bring life. Look at this. One last passage and we're done. Just... Go read all of 1 John this week. It's only five chapters. You could read it in about 14 minutes. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. John just uses, this is how we know we're in God. This is how we know we're tracking with God. And he just, he locates it in one solid stream. He's given us of his spirit and we've seen and testified that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges, here it is, that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so all of Christian life in verse 16 can be summarized as this. And so we know, what do we mean by know? Do we just mean head know? What do we know? Experience, right? It's the relationship. He doesn't just want us to know with our heads. He wants it to ravish our lives, right? Our hearts, our minds, our thinking. And so we know and rely, look at that, and rely on the love God has for us. That is your mission statement as a Christian, to know God's love and then live your whole life relying on that love. Are you tracking with me? Your and I's mission is to know and love and rely on God's love. Our co-mission, Matthew 28, is to go train other people to know and rely on and live out of God's love. It's called discipleship. Learning what to love and to love it rightly. Because why? God is love. Look at this, it just gets best and we close. This is how love is made complete among us. So that we all have confidence on the day of judgment. You think about the days in your life you wanna have confidence. Come on, what is like the day that sticks out above every day in your head? (laughs) To be confident. This is not a rhetorical question. Probably the day you stand before him. (laughs) And love makes us ready for that day. Not so we look forward to it with fear, but look what it says. Because in this world we are like Jesus. Now, what in the world do you think John's getting at? Read the whole letter to find out yourself. But I would argue we're like him in love. Because he goes on, he just riffs on the same message. There's no fear in love. How many know that death plays off of the fuel of fear? But love, the machine of love operates from a different octane. I don't know the metaphor, I'm not a car person, but you get where I'm going. It runs from a different source. 
Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made, look at that, perf- there's the word again, perfect in love, which, which is to say, to function as you were created in love and for love and to love. Guys, true love can't wait. Not in this hour, no way. And he goes on and he, f- he finishes. We love because he first loved us. There it is, that's the gospel in one sentence. <laughs> Can I get an amen? We love because he started it, <laughs> and he sustains it, and he, has, he is faithful to complete it, amen? Whoever claims to love God, he just, he just won't, John will not let us separate love for God and love for fellow human. I'm sorry. For those of us who just want to be spiritual and read our books about the cross while our son's falling apart and say we love him, God won't let us. <laughs> <laughs> Because whoever claims to love God but hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoa. That's just the Bible. Don't get mad at me. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. Don't you love the logic? I wish it was more complicated. Anyone who loves must also love the brother. If this is the call, true love can't wait. To choose to cling on to our anger, rage, slander, bitterness, resentment, harboring, or withholding forgiveness is to eat from the wrong tree. The fruit of that tree, of naming who is worthy of love and what loving means and looks like, is to remain in death, as our first scripture said. If you don't love, you're staying in the land of death, which is the land we, it seems to be as increasing in space in our culture. But how many know there's a different world called the kingdom of God that God is establishing through Jesus and through his church that is not a culture of death, but a culture of life because at its center is the loving sacrifice of Jesus which turns all of us selfish, inward, bent on ourselves, people to outward lovers and servants of his good, his glory. And as we do that, scripture tells us we actually discover life along the way. The tree that we continue to eat from, when we name what is good and evil, when we name what love is and who is worthy of it, will always leave death on our palate. But good news is that even though the thief wants to just still kill and destroy, Jesus has come to write the narrative, to actually write a new story, to make a new world through his love, and he calls it simply, I've come to give them what? Life. And then have it to the full. True love can't wait. Not today. Not in our day and age. God is des- desires to raise up a people in love with him. Rightly aligned to his purposes. Submitting to his wisdom for life experiencing that love so we know and rely on it. He, w- he wants to raise up a people who know they are completely and fully loved and there ain't nothing that they can do about it. He wants to raise up a people in this cultural moment who are so ravished by that love that their white knuckle grip on their own agenda and will and me, 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 begins to loosen and we receive the life of Jesus himself and that life will begin to flow through us that will be nothing less than forgiveness and healing to the world around us. 
this is not easy. Don't think I'm being just passe. The whole Bible tells a story. These guys gave their lives in love. All of the followers, disciples, they're crazy. Because how many know death is powerful? But there's something more powerful than death, and that is love. That is the love that triumphed over death on the cross and the love that now flows to us through Jesus by the Spirit. Christ has undressed the powers and principalities that have kept us bound and stuck in our old ways of sin, selfishness, pride, and darkness. By doing so, his decisive victory purchased a whole new wardrobe for us to wear. Clothes that we were always born to wear, clothes of compassion, humility, kindness, gentleness, patience, and over all of these, Colossians 2.14, love. Jesus has stripped the power, the old clothing of the old way to be human, and now he's given us a brand new makeover for all of you people who like shopping. And he's calling us to put off the old garments of self, sin, hell, and death, and all the bent on ourselves, and to put on the new garments of Jesus himself. And to begin to embody together a new kind of life. Not just for ourselves, but for the world. True love cannot wait. Not today. How many know our response to what's going on in the earth cannot be to retreat and withdraw and to hide. Which I love church history, not even just church history, just read history. When the fires raged throughout the thousands of years of Christian history, it's always believers who are marked by love who run towards the fire, not away from it. Hospitals and art, culture, just go read history. It was those who were turned inside out by the love they received in Jesus who then he sends into the world to mediate a different kind of life. And I want you to know that God has a way forward for all of us that is nothing short of life. But we have to choose love or we stay in This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you stand with me? If I can have the the serve, if Leah can come and play the keys, and if I can have those serving communion, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. If I could just have some people come to the table, and we're going to participate in this meal. All of it's, is it all gluten-free now? I forgot. Have we moved that direction? We have gluten-free options because we've been getting some requests and germs. And don't dip your whole hand in the cup because that freaks all of us out. Just a little juice will do. There's enough blood of Jesus for all of us and all of our sins. Amen. But honestly, as we come to the table, this is God's invitation to come out of death and into life. To choose to receive his provision of forgiveness and newness of life so that we can leave this place to be bearers and witnesses of love and life that will change the world. All in favor, say amen. So Father, thank you. On the night you were betrayed, Jesus, you took the cup and said, this cup, this bread represents my body that's gonna be broken so that all of your brokenness can be made whole through me. 
take it and eat it. The, the cup represents the blood that I'm going to pour out so that you don't have to spill each other's blood any longer. Through me, you can end the narrative of death and begin to participate in the narrative of the kingdom of life and light and love. And he gave the cup to all of his friends. And so come now, as Leah sings, let's participate in this meal that transforms us by God's grace. Come forward as you feel led.
God's love. If you receive that, say amen. amen. Go enjoy 1 John this whole week. It's only five chapters. You could read it over a lunch period. But here's an exercise I want us to do this week. We know 1 Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter, and it's uh, talk about a love you and I cannot get to on our own. We need help. But do this this week. In one of your prayer or your devotion times, it's an amazing exercise. Where it says love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it does not delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never, because you and I are called to become love like that. This week, at some point, grab a journal. My dad taught me this. And where the word love is, put your name. Chad is patient. You won't have to work on humility this week, I promise. Take that passage with a journal this week. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Because true love can't wait, not today. By this, everyone in the world will know the truth of our claims by how we love each other. We love God, we love each other, and we love the world. Oh, and by the way, we love ourselves. If there is friction on any of those four fronts, we'd love to have a time to pray with you as others leave. Between you and God, yourself, someone in the church community or in the world, God in Christ wants to bring breakthrough and healing to any of those dynamics in your life. Do it this week. Chad is patient. Chad is kind. Chad does not envy. And on any of those descriptors you can't name, do not go to the right side of the comma. Sit on it and allow love to transform you into that. Are you tracking with me? It's not about Chad is patient, Chad is kind. It's like, God, I wanna grow in patience. (laughs) Chad is kind, or sub your name. Oh, does that sound like a decent challenge? Can we work on that this week? Stand with me, I wanna send you out with a blessing, and if you want prayer, we've got a team that wants to pray with you. As you go, My command is this, this is Jesus, so listen up. Love each other as I've loved you. (laughs) It's just everywhere today. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for your friends. Look what Jesus says to us. You are my friends, if you do what I command. So go in God's love, and may his love compel you this week to walk in a brand new kind of life, leaving the culture and land of death by choosing to know and rely on the love God has for you through Jesus. Amen.
and amen.